Welcome to the Belper Beer Club podcast. We're four intrepid beer explorers from Derbyshire, and we thought it was about time we put out a podcast. And here it is. My name's John. My name's Sean. I'm Paul. And I'm Jamie. And here we are on episode four, and this time around we have special guest Jack from Tartarus talking about his journey so far, brewing high-strength, low-strength beers, and surviving in this difficult climate. When we first decided we wanted to speak to breweries as part of our podcast, collectively, we all knew the breweries we wanted to approach first. Today, we're delighted to be joined by Jack, co-owner and head brewer from Tartus Brewery. Hailing from Leeds and very much known for the Willy Wonka approach to brewing, they specialise in strong and European styles of beer. Um, we were fortunate enough to catch up with Jack back in 2020, uh, where we tried a, a, a three of their beers. Um, one of them, which was King Arthur, a barley wine, was probably to a point one of our favourite beers of that mm-hmm. particular season, ended yeah. up being runner-up. Um, we also tried the Hansel, which is a salted um, salted double chocolate porter, and Enra, a rauch beer, which kind of gave you an idea of the kind of vast range and diverse range of beers that, that Tartarus are known for. Um, I remember as well Jack generously giving up his time. Uh, I don't know if you remember, Jack, but you were holidaying down in uh, the Lake District or up in the Lake District, and you yeah, gave a half, 90, uh, two, two hours of your time whilst on holiday. I can only imagine Jordan was sitting in the other room waiting for you to finish for the finish on the call. Um, I think she was actually just sat across the uh, across the uh, room because we're doing it in the living room, what would be the living room of this uh, sort of caravan that we were staying in. Uh, sat in an armchair. I think she was just reading and drinking, so uh, I think she was okay. quite content. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember something of note was the fact that you just had your thousandth check-in on Untapped at that particular time, which, if I remember, it meant you entered the top three, was it, in terms of the UK breweries? Yeah, we were top three back then. Um, we've had a lot more check-ins since then. Yeah, so I noticed, I did a little look, you're currently nestled in between Beak and Free Hills at number 24 when I looked uh, look this week. That's, so, that's not a bad place to be. No, that's pretty good. <laughs> and also artwork's a big thing for you guys. And obviously we'll talk about that a little bit later, but it's certainly worth uh, mentioning that kind of all the all the artwork and all the can packages always look very, very striking. So Jack, that's kind of an introduction. Please could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the beer journey that you've been on to date? Yes, yeah, so uh, obviously I'm Jack, I'm the... Uh, <clears throat> One of the owners, uh, my partner Jordan, she is a 50% owner, so we are 50% female owned as a company. Um, we, yeah, we set up in 2020, so when we last spoke, I think we'd been going about six months, I think. Really? <clears throat> okay. Yeah, we're not, not, I think we're a 100 litre kit as well at that particular point. We were, yeah, so we were, so I was still full time employed at, um, my previous brewery job where I was a brewer and yeah, well, I was just doing it on the side on a hundred liters down in my cellar in my, um, in my house. Yeah. Those were, those were slightly different times. Um, but yeah, we sort of picked up a fair bit of traction from that. I mean, it's pretty easy to gain traction if you come out of the gates and you release a 17% Imperial stout. Um, was that a conscious decision then for yourself to do that? Um, sort of, but at the same time, not really. I was just testing to see 
I was doing te- pilot batches with the kit that I'd built in my cellar to sort of fit, figure out any quirks or anything that I needed to sort out or change. It was just one of those things I was just, it was a beer that I was just pushing the limits of the kit yeah, to see what would happen and to see what we could achieve out of that kit. And it just kind of went from there. And even now we're still pretty much running on the same recipe. We've not actually changed the Abaddon recipe from when we originally did it on the 100 litre. I think a couple of the hops had changed just because of availability. Um, They're still very similar. So it was Bramling Cross, Jester and Fox. And I don't think we can now get Fox. So it's now just uh, Jester and Bramling Cross. Right, okay. But apart from that, is essentially the same beer. Um, so yeah, it was just pushing the limits of that kit. <laughs> and subsequently, every kit we've been on since. Because <laughs> <laughs> back in February 20... Yeah, February 2021, I went full-time. Yeah. On the 100-litre kit. Jordan was still full-time employed. And then it was September. September of that year we started cuckoo brew okay so going around using other people's kits we started on a 15 hectoliter kit so doing 1500 liter batches which <clears throat> that's yeah, a big, big jump from what you were doing previously yeah it was and we had the same amount and we were using the same amount of fermenters at the time as well so we had three fermenters in the basement and we jumped up to using three 15 Mm. Uh, hexliter <laughs> fermenters which meant that every batch was 15 times the size yeah so yeah it was that was a that was a very steep learning curve and how how hands were you on with the cuckoo brewing were you down on site and kind of helping with the brew day or were you actually leaving it to the to the brewery to kind of do your recipe so no we we were always on site um we have we changed from that site where me and Jordan went. So Jordan came full-time in October as well. Just the packaging was getting too much. I mean, this brewery basically wasn't functioning as a brewery. They were mm. renting it out to people. <clears throat> so they rented it out to us and we went and used the kit. So all the packaging was getting too much and the sales and everything else. Jordan came full-time. We did have a couple of beers done by a contract. Um, we had four beers done um, as we were moving because yeah. whilst we we're moving uh, to a new brewery that was highest a higher spec brewery um, closer to where we were because we were traveling over into Lancaster to this other brewery. So back in going back into Leeds, <clears throat> we're using a place called Legitimate Industries. Right. Okay. Uh, they did a couple of contracts for us whilst we were getting everything sent over and assigned back over to into Leeds and then we started using legitimate industries as our you know main base of uh, production that again every single time we've sort of upscaled it's been not necessarily planned but it's more just kind of happened because yeah. um, legitimate industries were brewing on a 25 hectoliter kit so each batch was 2500 litres Wow. So an extra thousand liters per batch, which again 
a whole a whole new load of issues of trying to find outlets and places to sell all that to. Because it isn't just a, a point of just upscaling your recipe, is it? It's, it's learning the kit as well. Um, it's, it's, mm. There is a lot. Of, there's a learning curve to that, isn't there? Yeah. Um, and whereas the one that we're using over in uh, in Lancaster was a very basic kit, there really wasn't a whole lot that was different from what I was using downstairs, which is on a much bigger scale. The legitimate kit was uh, <clears throat> was a lot more complex. Um, steam fired so it was using high pressure steam to heat all of the uh like the hot water and the kettle um lots of flow meters very sophisticated uh mash tun with rakes and stuff in it it's stuff that i've i'm familiar with from other breweries that i've worked at but it was re sort of learning on their kit because their whole brew house was very compact and actually everything until you cast out into the fermenter, everything was run through like one single manifold. Right. And uh, which is very neat, very compact, uh, very efficient, but extremely easy to put something in the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're really not careful, you can pump your freshly brewed wort directly into the HLT. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like you're speaking from experience. <laughs> Yeah, it's happened with, um, I managed to get uh, caustic into the HLT. No oh, idea how that happened. Uh, whilst we were cooking brewing there, not us, but someone else who was there managed to pump yeast slurry into the HLT. Oh, so, cool. these, <laughs> so uh, again, just these, these things happen in the brewing industry, all very, uh, yeah, things happen and you cool. just got to shrug it off, go, right. How, how can I sort this quickly and efficiently and get everything back on track? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, we were there for a few, quite a few months. Um, and is that the point where you went to Cairns? Is that the, is that the, the time when you went yeah. into Cairns? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so back in Lancaster, the kit was so rudimentary and the FVs were basically buckets with like flappy lids, no way of pressurizing them. Um, we actually moved to contract packaging, which was a whole different headache. Mm -hmm. um, but we didn't trust the contract packages to can. So we had everything put into bottle like we had previously. When we got to legitimate industries, we actually had, we managed to get hold of a bottling line <clears throat> and we got them that can in. So them that can came in, just brought the canning line in. We were there packing on the back end. We saw everything that was happening, really yeah. happy with the service we got there and started getting everything into can. Um, but we had the bottling line, so we could still put things like a Baden, Erebus, the Imperials, and other things into bottle. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's the point which we changed. So we had this sort of both types of small pack. We were trying to go, basically, if it was ageable or you could set aside and sell it, it was going in a bottle. And yeah. if it was like drink fresh, it was going in a can. <clears throat> So that would be IPAs, fruit sours, that kind of thing. Yeah. Your rice love I had in the can, I think. Yeah, yeah. No, and that's because it's a beer that should be sort of drunk fresher, um, whereas things like a bad and an Erebus, you can lay down for a couple of years, let it age, because I've done both of age things in bottle, age things in can, and can aging is a bit of a weird one. I've had beers where I've aged for like two years in can, because the best before said it should be fine, and then 
they've not really tasted anything at the end of it. <laughs> yeah. It's really yeah. bizarre. They just just sort of fell quite flat. Whereas aging things in bottle, flavors develop, and so that yeah. was the whole idea behind that was <clears throat> ageable things can lay down in the cellar, bottle, drink fresh, can. Yeah, we definitely moved more towards canning recently. Um, just solely they sell they sell easier. Um, people, you know, bottle shops, bars, general public seem to buy cans a lot more over bottles currently. Mm-hmm. So there are some things that will never ever be in a can, like a badden that will always be in a bottle. Yeah. Um, but <clears throat> a badden is one of those ones that we can sell. It doesn't matter what the packet is, it will sell. But other things, yeah, you've you've kind of sort of more of a consumer um, consumer force there, sort of bringing it more into can. But yeah, that's how we started canning was a legitimate industry because they had a kit that could handle it and we could monitor everything much more efficiently. Um, and yeah, then sort of went a little bit more mental after that because uh, <clears throat> we got an email, well, say an email, we got an Instagram message from uh, one of the owners of North. Okay. Um, saying that they'd heard that we were looking for premises, which we had been for about a year and a half, eight to, yeah, about 18 months, I think, we've been looking. <clears throat> and Leeds is a very competitive city. Units were appearing and disappearing before we even got a chance to view them. It was really difficult. And even if and if they were hanging around, they were generally hanging around because they were unbelievably expensive. Yeah. Like some of the units we were looking at were, you know, coming in at like 80,000 a year, <clears throat> which right. is just... For a small brewery, it's just like that's a no go. Like, well, the can, there's a lot of bottles to sell before you square that up. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, our turnover last year would have barely covered it, really. Um, so it's one of those things we just couldn't couldn't do that. Um, but yeah, North came in and said, Well, you're looking for a place, we might have a solution for you, and obviously. We were just like, what, what's this going to be about? Are they wanting us to rent the space off them? What's going to be? So anyway, we <clears throat> instantly just messed back. We're like, absolutely. We're looking for our own place. Um, what have you got in mind? Um, email back saying, well, can you come meet us at the brewery? And well, this, they, was it Springwell or was it the, the place where you end up? At uh, Tavernus Walk, the place okay. we're at currently. Um yeah. So yeah, we went, we went and met the directors and uh, the head brewer. Gone, actually, might be production director or something. No, high fancy title now. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but uh, really, really nice guys. Just sort of sat, had a chat, you know, chat through things, and then basically just went, "Well, we're using this as our side project stuff, their field recordings, but." They're now at such a size that logistics is an absolute nightmare. I mean, I know for us when we were just moving sites and we had, you know, a couple of beers done contract and then we were cuckoo brewing stuff. You've got beer everywhere. And it was, that for us was a headache and it was a much smaller kit than what they're on now. So I can only imagine what having a couple, two sites for them was like. Um, And they just went, you know, we're trying to bring everything in house in under one site. So this place is going to be free either 
we sell the kit and return it back to normally it gets let out to you know delivery or someone like yeah. that <clears throat> or we leave the kit here we strike the deal with you guys you take on the site and uh you know it'll be yours mm-hmm. um we me and jordan went away spoke about numbers had a really really in-depth conversation because it was a huge step um overheads were going through the roof taken on that site everything else it was pretty nerve-wracking um but in the end were we geared up for it probably not (laughs) (laughs) we went into it with a bit of a wing and a prayer yeah um but it was an opportunity that really wasn't going to come around again yeah um you know for the sort of the specker kit they've got the equipment that was there and a tap room um, as well and a tap room all pre-built like all we needed to do was go in give it a bit of a spruce up get rid of some of the north branding which there was quite a lot of <laughs> uh, that took a couple of weeks <laughs> painting over <laughs> one of their uh, logos but yeah that's and that's where we are now and we've got the tap room open we're in full production uh, still just me and jordan <laughs> Yeah, wow, that's pretty that's, that's pretty, crazy. That's, that's pretty crazy. commendable. You know, <clears throat> the kit is a 2,500-litre kit. Yeah. There are four fermenters there, 2,500s, and actually there are a couple of 5,000-litre fermenters there as well. Wow. Which we have used. Um, we've just finished canning a massive contract for a subscription box, which, in fact, used two of those fermenters. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> That was, uh, that's been a headache, uh, 22,000 cans. Wow. That was, um, was, was that a bruiser box? If it is, um, we want to talk about no. bruiser as well anyway. But, um, no, it's, it's a, this one's a different subscription box, okay. uh, much bigger one. that uh, they Because bruiser works that they basically give breweries a platform to have a subscription box. Yeah. yeah. And then they distribute the beer on behalf of us. The beer comes direct from us. We don't send it to them. Yeah. They then pay us for the beer that's in the box. Uh, we invoice them. They pay. And yeah. it's just, it, it means that we don't have to have all the, uh, you know, equip, you know, the, the setup of like the yeah. website. And the complaints and everything like that as well. Yeah. So that's, all I've seen, all I've seen is love for you guys on Bruiser. I mean, you won Bruiser uh, Brewery of the Year. I mean, I'm on their Facebook page. All I see is just so much love for certainly Abaddon, 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 best box, Krampus. Yeah. I mean, you must be, you must be smiling at the love that you're getting uh, from from that particular. It, it is good, um, and we've had to increase our bruiser boxes uh, recently. We've been getting for a huge amount, um, so actually, we've increased the number that we've got on there because we set a limit um, yeah. on what can be ordered every month um so yeah no it's really really good to see you know we we post up boxes as and when we can find the time and remember to do it on the on the forum we get the amount of traction we get when we do that is you know huge and to win the you know bruiser of the uh, the brewery of the year on bruiser was absolutely huge yeah um you know for quite still generally quite a relatively small unknown brewery the amount of like support we are getting direct from places like that is is massive yeah 
But it's but it's all you know it's all it's all on you really because those boxes are good value in terms of I've seen the bottles and the cans are going. If you added them all up, you're certainly getting more than your thirty eight pounds worth or whatever it is you're getting. It's 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 you know you're you're putting the effort in on those boxes surely. Yeah, I mean for us we so we use Bruiser as if it was more um, sort of wholesale rather than retail. Yeah. We we pretty much get our trade price for the beer that we put in the box. Yeah. So essentially we don't really lose out on anything there. Mm. Um, we, <clears throat> you know, on our website, we try and match the other bottle shops and everyone else because that's just, you know, it's, it's good practice because you don't want to undercut your local market or the people who are supporting you because if you undercut them, then why is anyone going to go to them to buy your beer? Yeah, that's just you know that's just sort of one of the sort of general rules that we work by. You know, we will try and be uh, a similar price to everyone else who have online shops or in store, just because for us the web shop's not our mainstream of revenue. Mm-hmm. It's nice to have, but we rely more on trade customers. Yeah. So it's in our best interest to make sure that if people want a specific beer and we've got it, yeah, they can come to us. But we don't want to sell it for, you know, two pound less than the bottle shop, their local bottle shop, because then no one's going to go to their local bottle shop. Yeah. So we charge the same price as them. So everyone, if you want a beer that we've got, brilliant, you can come to us, but try and get it from your local bottle shop as well. Because that's an interesting concept. Because one of the things after lockdown was, you know, everyone was going direct to breweries and would it cut the bottle shops out? And you just kind of answered the question of what the bottle trade practice is. So that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, that that's one of the big things. I think most breweries didn't have an online shop before COVID. Yeah, yeah. It almost became a necessity for them to have an online shop because everything had to go into small pack. No bars were open. And most of these breweries wouldn't have had, or at least a lot of them wouldn't have had the outlets of enough bottle shops. Right to distribute that amount of cans to. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. At one point, it was all direct with brewery almost. Well, certainly a couple of big bottle shops, but certainly not your local bottle shop, you know? Um, yeah. And yeah, you just explained that pretty pretty good about how it works. And, and it's really good. I, it's really a good practice, like you said, because, you know, we want to support the local bottle shops as much as everybody else. And we had our own stuff we buy for the club. We've always said, we'll go direct to the brewery. We don't. But on the other hand, we should still, still support our local bottle shops. So, mm. yeah, the way you've explained it makes uh, good sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the things that's um, really worrying at the moment is with all the breweries that are closing down and the bottle shops that are closing down and bars and everything else, um, you know, some of our customers that we've sold to have closed as well. So it's a, it's like a self-preservation thing as well. If we don't want to drive people direct to us because there are a lot of people who still probably wouldn't just come to our website because there's a lot of people who don't just want like 12 of our beers. They'll want yeah. Yeah. two or three of our beers and some other ones. Yeah. The only way you're going to get that is if you buy from an online shop or a bottle shop. So for us to undercut them would probably do more harm to us in the long run. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I, I yeah. guess um, the, the bottle shops are a good introduction to you, I'd imagine, because of the distinctive can art and the distinctive bottle art. You can imagine people going in, having never heard of Tartarus, 
going into that bottle shop and picking up that can going oh that's that stood out that's interesting I haven't seen that before and then and then going oh actually I'll, you know I'll, I'll give that a go so I can I can understand how you know because otherwise if you reliant on people finding you on brews or finding you direct to the brewery it's 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 a lot trickier yeah it's a bigger ask yeah I mean so one of the things we've been getting back from bottle shops which we have actually acted on recently despite how good the artwork looks people don't like picking up cans to turn them around to see what the beer is okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. so what we've been finding is there's quite a lot of people who go oh that looks interesting but they want to be able to see instantly on the front what the beer is yeah. so oh. they're not going to go yeah it's it's something that we've had a couple of bottle shops mention uh we've had a distributor mention it a couple of other people who you know we've actually had a couple of bottle shops say it's the only reason they don't actually buy our beer is because it doesn't say what it is on the front. <laughs> wow. really? yeah. that, that's really interesting because actually it makes total sense. Um, but I guess one of those things that makes total sense, but only until only once someone said, "Why don't you put the the what's in what, the can?" What it is on the on the tin on, on <laughs> the front and center kind of thing, or at least where you can easily see it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so going forward, and this is this, the, it seems ridiculous, but I mean, I keep saying it's a significant change to our artwork. And every time I say that, people are like, oh, my God, you've stopped using Sam for artwork. No, we haven't. Yeah. Um, the significant changes, and because it, it seems so small, but it generally seems to some people it is significant, is now we actually have the name of the beer and the style and ABV on the front. All right. Mm-hmm. So that's just at the, it's at, it's at the bottom of the can. Uh, Sam's actually re, redone things really, really well. Uh, same fantastic artwork, but now it says Tartar Spears at the top of the can and has the relevant information, the name of the beer, the start of the beer and the ABV on the front. And he's done it in a way that it doesn't cover up, you know, huge amounts of the artwork. So you can still really appreciate what it is. But we've... Have you still, have you still got this tiny, teeny, teeny, weeny little writing on the side of the bottle there? <laughs> so, <laughs> another change. Because <laughs> start- people like us who are getting old with the eyesight that we've got, it, yeah. So what we've, what we've done is uh, we've started export, um, which is, you know, for breweries at the moment, cash flow is a, is king in the industry. You've got you've got to have cash coming in and out. You know, you've got to keep it coming in, be able to keep producing beer, to keep, you know, selling. Um, so every avenue that breweries can, you know, it's why we use Brewzer, it's why we're on eBrew, it's why we're trying to get, distributors on board is why we're exporting is try and get as many of the um you know as, as much of our beer out as possible and to as yeah. many people but because of that we've had to make other changes to our cans which is now the description of the mythical creature is no longer on the bottle or can okay. it's uh, all of the ingredients in different languages and uh, <laughs> and there's actually a little qr code you scan the QR code, all of the other information that we used to put, the mythical oh, creature, yeah, that's good. The, everything else is now online. So you scan it, it takes us to our web page. Which then, we can pitch that out so we can see it. That's all right. <laughs> yeah. And it does mean the text is a little bit bigger. Yeah. Except from Krampus, because we have to translate the sheer quantity of ingredients that are in the thing <laughs> into, six, into six languages. And uh, it, wow. it became almost like a novel in itself. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, we want to talk about Canart in a bit, so we'll kind of we'll kind of we'll just gloss over that for for, for now. I guess that's your that's your story in terms of how your brewery has got to where you are. But what about yourself, Jack? In terms of what's your journey? In terms of where did you start brewing? Was it like like me and John in terms of in a kitchen, you know, in, in a home brewer, or was it a kind of a more commercial journey for yourself? Um, it was a mix of both. So I, me and Jordan both did chemistry at university. Um, I got an extremely boring job analyzing water after university. And during that time, I started homebrewing. Mm-hmm. Did that, I think it was about doing it, homebrewing for about 18 months. And people were generally turning around and going, you know, the beer's good if you thought about being a brewer. Um, I hadn't. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, no, I'll stop staying in the sciences. But then someone kept, people kept mentioning it. I went, well, you know what? I'll give it a go. So I got my first brewery job in 2016, I think it was. Okay. So I was basically doing everything in the brewery. It was a very, very small brewery. So I was brewing, packaging, doing the deliveries, doing all the cleaning, and even setting up the tap room. Um, so that was at Helmsley Brewing Company. Okay. I was there about eight months. Um, I was traveling over 100 miles a day and uh, decided it's probably too far. Mm-hmm. So I ended up getting a job at Northern Monk. Okay. So I was a brewer there for two years. And then I moved on to Brew York. All right. And again, I was a brewer there for two years. And after that is when I set up Tartarus. So that's kind of how I got into it. So for about- was there a point then where you were brewing full time at Brew York, but also on the side at the weekends brewing and starting up Tartarus? Yeah, there was. I think I did that for about six months towards the end. Yeah. Um, they did know. I did tell them. Yeah. Um, so it, wasn't just, <laughs> it wasn't just covertly doing it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, they, they, sell, they sold quite a lot to the Rainville. And uh, the Rainville had basically said, you know, when you get set up, we'll take your stuff. And I went, well, if you do, Brew York sell to you quite a lot. They're probably going to find out. So I'm going to have to tell them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but they they were absolutely fine with it. Um, and yeah, I was doing that for six months, but it was just getting to the point where things were starting to grow and expand. Yeah, we I needed to be more hands on, trying to keep things moving. And so I went full time in yeah February twenty yeah twenty twenty one. Well, it sounds like your first job in the industry had kind of really kind of adopted you to what you need to do now in terms of you're all hands in now doing it so you're selling it you're yeah, moving it around you're brewing you're cleaning so it sounds like yeah stuff in yeah no that was that was pretty uh although i only worked five days a week there and um uh, doing a lot more than that <laughs> <laughs> any plans to hire a few more people now yeah we are we are looking at it um biggest issue for us is we're kind of getting swamped by overheads a little bit at the moment. Um, mm. Just coming out of January, things are always tight. Um, hopefully, things are picking up, and they're picking up fairly rapidly. So hopefully within the next couple of months, because me and Jordan really need a break. Mm. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
yeah yeah i mean i guess that kind of leads us quite nicely on to how optimistic are you are about the the brewing industry obviously it's quite it's been well publicized in terms of how many breweries and you've talked about it already in terms of clothes but in terms of your own outlook in terms of you know the scale and what, what you see from your perspective and obviously you you've jumped both feet in and probably uh, probably you know you could say probably one of the you know most um i wouldn't say it's the most um dangerous times but certainly you know it's you know you've, you've gone all in so what's your feelings for, towards the industry yeah it's we're taking it week on week that's really all we can do um it it's pretty bleak to be fair i yeah i, th I think there's going to be a lot more closures if what we've heard about business rates increasing and if the duty increase and everything else i think there's going to be a lot more breweries just pulling the plug mm -hmm. saying it's not worth this um whether we are we're trying to be optimistic and keep progressing and keep going the duty increases happen we're gonna to have to think long and hard about the beers that we produce below 8.5 percent is that the kind of what we're looking at well, yeah, because it might just become completely unfeasible to produce stuff mm. like a baton. Yeah. Um, the duty would be, I mean, we've not worked it out yet. We're, you know, terrified to do that. Um, mm -hmm. But it could be that the duty is that much that it just becomes completely unfeasible. We've already had to put prices up a little bit and we're looking at doing it again. I think as optimistic as we, we're trying to be about it, we're, we're trying to keep a realistic head. And at the moment, we're just taking it day on day. You know, yeah. can we make it to next week? If we can make it to next week, can we make it to the week after? We just take it uh, every week like that. You know, chatting to people in the industry, everyone's got a fairly similar outlook. Mm. I don't think there are many breweries out there who are generally stri genuinely striving. Right. Every, every single one of them appears to be very much in a fight or flight state state mm -hmm. at the moment um well i was surprised I, to hear um paul at cloudwater on bbc news you think they were pretty untouchable but he's saying how he's un having unsleepable nights and um i certainly can see their range mm -hmm. has changed you know they've played it a lot safer these days yeah yeah it's it's difficult you know with independence going under you know it's it's a big it's a difficult one for me because you know um people do rave about our beer but we're struggling to get into a lot of bottle shops and bars. There seems to be a huge um, thing of bars and bottle shops just stock the big five breweries, you know, and that's pretty much all you're getting. We go out into Leeds and it's the big five, and. You know, we, we struggle to get into Leeds. There's hardly any Leeds bars that serve our beer. <clears throat> as ridiculous as that sounds, we're right yeah. on the doorstep. We can't get into Leeds. Um, so it's it's worrying. And then the, I think bottle shops and bars are doing that because they know that those breweries sell. Mm -hmm. No matter what beer it is, no matter what they put on tap, it's going yeah. to shift. Whereas if they do something like that, situation, they think that takes the risk out of it then by putting on a name that everyone recognises. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think so. It's, you know, that reputation. Yeah. I mean, you know, look at January when one of those breweries released their biggest beer yeah. and they sold out. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. everyone just recognises it. 
you know, we release it. Yeah. I was actually in a bottle shop when that went on sale and it just flew off the shelves while I was sitting there. It was crazy. Mm. Yeah. I mean, we, I know I tried to work out how much revenue they made from that one beer. And, uh, you know, in the end, I was just like, this, the amount they made potentially could have supported multiple breweries for nearly a year, potentially. You know, I think there's breweries of that which probably are surviving and striving and doing all right, but everyone else, you know, we're just week on week, I think. Are there any exciting upcoming release, uh, releases or any exciting collabs in the pipework? Yes. So we have, after all the doom and gloom, let's get on to some positivity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we are, because we've got our own site, we are moving much, uh, much faster on getting um, breweries to us. Uh, previous years, we've always been, folk, we've always not, well, we've not had a space to do it. We've always gone to other people. Yeah. This year, bringing people back to us. <clears throat> so, some of the people that you've seen us do collabs with will be coming to us this year. Cool. We've got a couple in the pipeline already. We have uh, Vault City coming down. Oh, nice! So that's the return, the return leg after we went up and did the barley wine with them yeah, yeah, and Dead End Brewing Machine. Um, we have couple of away collabs planned already um actually tomorrow we're going to be down with heist all right mm. that's that's down on it down in sheffield yeah yeah. yeah yeah so that's going to be really good really excited about that um and yeah we've we've got other feelers out we've got a couple of uh big name well one of the, one big name sort of coming to us around hop city time okay so uh as you long as you don't want to divulge you want to keep that one you keep want to keep your powder dry on that one yeah, yeah, it's 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 going to be good though. It's yeah. uh, it's going to be very much up our street and their street, um, okay. and hopefully up everyone else's street. It's going to be it's mm-hmm. going to be pretty big. Um, yeah, beer festivals. We've got some in the pipelines already. Um, back to Crafty Dog this year as well. Yeah. We did that last year, which was his first ever one. This will be his second one. We're hoping we're going to be hoping. Fingers crossed. We're back at Leeds International as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got still not 100% confirmed. We might have a couple down south, um, sort of further towards London, that kind of thing. Yep. Mm-hmm. And as for releases, we have a big Imperial Stout getting launched tomorrow, or announced tomorrow, launched on Monday, which was a collaboration with Thick Source. Which is a hot sauce producer in Leeds. Oh, yeah. okay. Interesting. That's yeah. interesting. I think I saw I've seen the sauce, but I didn't know. I mean, how does that, without giving too much away? Chili, how, chili. How, how, is, it, is it the chili? Is that is it? Is it all about the chili? Right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just chili. Trying, to, trying to put some sauce into a fermenter. Right? It doesn't really. <laughs> no, no. He, he specialized in hot sauce and uh, he very kindly sourced us some fresh chilies uh, okay so that's that's gone into that um tasting very good really really excited to release that one um 
cask. Wow. Really? Oh, okay. <laughs> cool. So, so intake of breath for that. Well, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so the first one um, is, I don't know if you guys saw our uh, socials recently, we did a beer called Puka, which is a 4.5% oatmeal stout. Yes. Right. <laughs> that's the first beer that's going into cask. Oh, All right. Okay. Wow. Okay. That's an interesting one. I remember like a couple of years ago when we, everyone was coming out of lockdown and we had some chats with, we had a chat with Chapter. Yeah. No, um, Noah. Noah from Chapter. Um, and, and I think there were a few other people. And, and one of the questions was, what are you looking forward to coming out of lockdown? And he was saying, yeah, getting back into cask and cask beer. Like everyone was like, there was a real thirst and hunger for it. And it, it sounds like even now there are, there are sort of breweries who you wouldn't expect to be moving into cast, dabbling in it, like Verdant. Yeah, and, Verdant are doing uh, three or four different cast beers. Another one I saw, Brass House. They've mm-hmm. been doing cask and, and you, not a brewery that you would associate with that style of beer. So what, what led you to go into the cask world? So again, back maybe towards a little bit of the doom and gloom, it's another avenue to get beer out. Yeah. yeah. Now we've been getting sort of asked for cask, not necessarily a 4.5% cask. Most people are asking for pins of a badden. We thought we'd, uh, you know, we'd, we'd tease them in first um, before doing that. Um, but yeah, it, it's one of those things, uh, wholesale wholesalers, for breweries are huge. You know, we need them to help distribute our beer around everything else, you know, and at the moment, so far as I've heard, and we've had, you know, phone calls with a lot of them, they are flying through cask. They are, they're getting like 400 a week. And within a week, they've got half of them left next week. There's nothing. But that's that's good though. I mean, I think it, you know, first of all, it's national, isn't it? That's one thing, you know. And and another thing is that you know you can pick up retail outlets and pubs that you would just never even be in. You know, we know exactly. that. We know yeah. that. We've got a good relationship with our local sort of, uh, basically, with the best pub around here. And he he shops at Ebria. He look, he's always looking for those little nuggets, you know. And, and he's bringing yeah. them from all around the country into Derby. So. Yeah, uh, there's some good size to that. And if you just hit a sweet spot, yeah, I mean, you could be flying out, like you said. Well, um, that's it. You know, we've to the point now where we've got, we're planning specific beers for cask, but we're splitting it a third cask, a third can, a third keg. Okay. Right. So, because yeah. we, we don't want to go purely into cask, we don't want to do a purely cask beer, we want to keep you know the quality of the beer itself. We want to still have a premium on the beer, but we want some of the beers that we think are suited to it to go into cask to get that outlet to do yeah. that kind of thing. And you know, we've we've just done 24 of the oatmeal stout, <clears throat> we did a pre release on it, and we're releasing it to you know our regular trade customers and stuff like that. People who've supported us for a long time who do do cask and would be more interested in, in it. And you know, we've we sold majority of the cask already Brilliant. so you know it if priced correctly and people see it as for what it can be and it can be a you know cask is no longer just you know twiggy messes no. from yeah, you know absolutely. big guys it can be a premium product as well and that's sort of what we're shooting for now so not every beer 
but no. a decent, you know, a decent split of beers. We've got, mm. you know, we've actually we sent a sample off to get gluten tested because we're doing gluten free as well. Okay, so we're we're trying to get into the gluten free. We've we've done low alcohol as well. We did a zero. I was going to ask you about that Moon Rabbit. Yeah, you're zero point five percent Tonka and vanilla. That's quite a turnaround from. Two yeah. years ago, isn't it? I mean, about that. I mean, Tartarus to low alcohol shock. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a question <laughs> I got about that in terms of you know how's it how's it been received firstly, and just you know how did you do that? Obviously, there's a few ways you can you can make low alcohol beer, but kind of what was your kind of methods kind of do, getting it down to 0.5? So yeah, so I mean, again, we came into January with very low expectations, and actually we had not a great January, but a sustainable January, which mm-hmm is better than we were expecting. We were expecting to be, you know, bleeding cash, but we actually managed to almost stay all right. I think probably one of the big reasons for that is we did launch beginning of January, our low, you know, our low low alcohol stout. Mm -hmm. And it was something we'd been chatting about. It was something we actually did over the Christmas period. We tested it out um, and we used a method where, we essentially produce like a really unfermentable wort. Yeah. So high temperatures is that kind of thing? Yeah. So we mashed, I mean, not stupidly hot. We mashed at about 70 degrees. Right. Um, we took out, it was almost, almost based off an imperial stout recipe that we pretty much took out all the fermentables. <laughs> right. So the base malt, which was best ale malt made up, 22% of the grist. Right. The rest was all crystals, some oats. Um, was there oats in there? I'm trying to remember the time there. Could be lying, but I feel like they might have been. Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine. <laughs> oats, wheat, um, not wheat, what am I saying? Crystals, roasted barley. I think there was like craft three in there. There was chocolate malt. Mm-hmm. I think I might have used all three types of crystal as well. Um, I think it was like special B and stuff like that in there, but yeah. really like complex malts. And then we fermented it with a super low attenuating yeast. Yeah. So this yeast can only ferment glucose, sucrose, and fructose. So it can't utilize maltotriose. Mm hmm. That took us up to 0.47% right. and stopped. We achieved an attenuation of 8%. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Most most people are looking for, you know, that, you know, 75 yeah. to 8%. Yeah, so we should be absolutely buzzing about 8%. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, we started, so the stout started about 10.35 and went down to about 10.32, <laughs> somewhere around there. So like, a couple of points of fermentation and that was absolutely yeah. it yeah um but that's how we did it and then we um find it dropped all of the yeast out we you know killed the yeast as well to make sure that it wouldn't re-ferment uh and then after all that was done we then infused it with the tonka and vanilla yeah which was tricky because there was no alcohol to act as like you know an extraction medium yeah. Um, so it's basically trying to get vanilla and tonka to infuse into water, which <laughs> was, uh, yeah, caused a bit of a headache. But so far, 
we you know it's actually been getting really good reviews um okay. we got mm. into an alcohol free beer club yeah was that wise bartender was it yeah so i think it's paired with a wise bartender and they've posted up about it um we've had feedback from uh, i think his name's robin really really enjoyed the beer mm-hmm. uh, we actually sense well mash gang actually bought some right <laughs> So, um, we can spend yeah, next year some sort of re- uh, maybe a collaboration with Mash Gang next year because they could have with everyone, haven't they? So, well, we've been in talks with Mash Gang. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. um, so maybe, maybe later on, we, we're, we're getting people in. Um, but yeah, weirdly, Moon Rabbit alcohol free got a lot of traction. Yeah. Mm. Um, Probably because people saw 0.5 and thought it missed a 1. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I love the fact you based it on an Imperial style recipe. Yeah. That, that, also, that, that tickles me, that does. Also, like, interesting, like, really complex malt bill, loads of ingredients. And we were, in our last podcast, we were talking about um, non-alcoholic beers. And that really kind of proves that point that to get a really enjoyable non-alcoholic beer you you still have to put in a heck of a lot of work it's not you're not leaving stuff out you're actually putting more stuff in if anything to get the flavors and more more process and more technique involved in it so it's an interesting one yeah i think alcohol free is so if you bring normal beer one of the hardest styles to do is lager because there's no absolutely nowhere to hide behind a lager yeah 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 if you get it wrong and there's off flavors that sings in a lager. You just that's all you're going to notice. Mm, yeah. Technically, alcohol free is just a whole different world. You know, you've there are so many things that can go wrong. You know, they're you know without the alcohol and other things in there, they are pretty prone to you know infections and all sorts. Mm. So you've really yeah. got to be on top of everything that you do. Mm. And just to even get it to taste good. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Exactly. Yeah. They are unbelievably complex. You know, we we were shooting in the dark, really. I've never done any alcohol-free or low-alcohol stuff that's any of the breweries I've worked at. So mm. it really was sitting down and doing the research on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so Can luckily... I, I, I just, I, I think I just read my favourite comment on Untapped, actually. I just while you're talking, I had a cheeky look at me, Robert, on Untapped. And... I think the best comment I've ever seen was was that uh, hides its non ABV well. <laughs> I think it's genius. Like, I've, I've officially stolen that for when I next yeah, have a. I think I think I think that explains exactly what he did in in terms of you know the the everyone always sort of talks about those dippers and tippers and various things and saying oh it hides the ABV well, but to hide the non ABV well for for mm. for low alcohol beer is. I think, I think that's a genius. I, think it, I can see that on the back of the can next time. Next yeah. time we meet Rabbit, that'll be a kind of quote that's in there. Yeah, well, I, th- I think I think that's it. Yeah, like it's it's one thing to hide the ABV of a big beer, but to be fair with imperial stouts and stuff, you've got a lot to hide behind anyway with all of the you know big malt bills and stuff. But for an alcohol-free, yeah, to be able to. You know, we had one review which was someone said, if you'd given it to me and told me it was a 5% stout, I would have believed you. Yeah. And mm. that's that's it to try to get it to actually drink like a beer mm. without it having the alcohol there. That's yeah, yeah. It's difficult. <laughs> you know, I think we'll 
I think we're going to do a few more. We're going to try and have a you know alcohol free line in the tap room if it's ours or other people's. You know, we're going to try and constantly have one. So we'll see if we can do it again because I think we're going to have to. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, it'll taste the same. Well, yeah. you know, Leeds. Whereabouts is how how easy accessible is is the new brewery from town? If anyone wanted to go and frequent it. Well, I don't know exactly where it is to be fair, but uh, could you just describe exactly where it is, and I'll t- I'll, I'll be able to work it out from that. So. It is right at the top of town. Uh, do you know the Belgrave Music Hall? Yeah. Yeah, so the Belgrave Music Hall, it's directly opposite um, Brewdog, North Street. Oh, right. So it's pretty, yeah, it's fairly accessible. Yeah, North Street is... Yeah. So yeah, then all you do is you get onto North Street, walk yeah. past Brewdog, you'll go past what was the Reliance and the Brunswick, yeah. keep going, and you'll see Northern Block Ice Cream. Yeah, yeah. Then we're just in an industrial unit behind now. I think it's about 15, 20 minute walk from the train station. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, no. we, might, we might see Belt Beer Club does lease yeah. again. Yeah, yeah. We did yeah. it a few years back, and that was that was quite a. Well, it, oh, I've the name of the place. Ridgeside. Ridgeside. Yeah. We started up at Ridgeside. That was an estate, wasn't it? Well, yeah. That no, was, Ridgeside wasn't wasn't <laughs> great, but we yeah. had a tasting session and very very generous. Too much tasting. Very generous. Yeah. Um, and I think Sam, your artist, was working with them at the time still. So. Yeah. So he yeah. He used to do their artwork. Um, actually, stopped doing their artwork at the beginning of lockdown, which is when we were setting up, which is around about the time we asked him to start doing our artwork. Mm, yeah. Fortuitous. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really, really for yeah, really fortunate. But if doing leads now, Ridgeside have got their tap room open more regularly on a weekend. Mm. You've got North Springwell. Yeah. You can walk from North Springwell to Ridgeside. And yeah. from Ridgeside to us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then from us, it's short trip into town. You've got the Brunswick. Um, you can skip past Brewdog if you want. And you can go straight to um, Brew York, just yeah. across the road from uh, Brewdog. And you've got uh, Belgrave Music Hall, the original North Bar site. Yeah. And then you're straight back into Leeds to do all the great ones like uh, White Locks, Turks well, Head. Yeah, we went to the White Locks as, as part of our uh, our little trip because that was one that I knew from back in the day. But one thing I was going to ask you about these and obviously just cask, you know, there's there's you know called Twiggy or or old pubs or whatever. But I mean, is that is that still a big scene in Leeds now, or is everyone just drinking craft? Um, I think there's more places starting to put you know cask lines in uh, yeah. Brownhill, Brownhill and Co. They've got a mental bottle range and they've got a really good uh, keg list but i think even they've got like a like a cask line now yeah um, the bar you've got white locks and turks head which white locks is great for cask turks head right next door you've got keg and cask on there um trying to think of other places assembly's now gone they've closed down assembly has yeah assembly underground yeah Oh really? So the vocation bar that closed down. Yeah, yeah, oh, right. closed. Um, I, I think that. they because there were food places as well. And I think yeah, they, yeah, big food hall. Yeah, yeah. I, so I think it just wasn't working with a lot of the food uh, food vendors and stuff. From what I've heard, anyway. Um, but I, I know they've gone. Um, where else? 
I mean, yeah. North Park, obviously. But yeah, yeah I think. No, I, just, I was just asking, like, is this still a, an old style pub scene? That's really what I was asking, you know. Yeah, just, I think just, I think there is, but I think there's a lot more because in, Dar- in Derby, but in Derby, which where we are, it, there's hardly any craft scene at all. Um, there's there's a sort of handful of you know old fashioned pubs which do have keg and cask, and then there's another handful of pubs that just serve anything. And when you consider Derby's got quite a big name for beer, sort of you know it's mm. known for beer. Um, you know it's very very limited what what yeah, you can actually yeah. get there. Yeah, you have to go to Nottingham really if you if yeah. you want it in the East Midlands. They've yeah. got Neon Raptor and I mean, you've just lights. You've just described something that's about yeah. five times yeah. the size of what we're familiar with. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think Leeds. There's, you know, if you want cask, there is, you know, there are, you can definitely find places for it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you really want probably well kept cask and a good range of it, you probably best bet is White Locks. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, it. and then if if you drink yeah. if you drink all the cask lines you want something different, then at least right next door there's the Turks Head as well. Yeah, that's good. That's a pub crawl in two places at about two yards apart. So yeah, I like it. Yeah, cool. Yeah. cool. Okay, this is part of the podcast where we open up it to uh, our listeners. And Jamie, you've got some listener questions or questions? Well, so I, I did have, but I think um, uh, so we had a question from Dan Summers. Um, but I think I think you've 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 answered most of it. But you can add, add a little to it if you want to. But then because you've mostly answered, I'm going to sneak a couple of my questions in. Um, so uh, the, the question that Dan asked was was um, uh, realistically looking at changing from you know the back of the bottle, 330 mil bottles to the to the can. Um, if that was a, a deliberate thing and if, if that was what you always intended to do. Um, so I think you've answered uh, uh, quite a bit of, of that already, but if you want to add anything to that at all. And then selfishly, my couple of questions um, would be, we've had obviously um, the, the marshmallow Abaddon, we've had the coconut Abaddon, the hazelnut Abaddon, I think there might be a coffee one, if my memory serves correctly. So have, have we got another flavour coming up? Um, and then the final selfish question, my point is, rock, what was that all about? Which I, I've had it. Yeah, uh, I've got, I've still got a bottle. I know you've still yeah, got a bottle. I'm afraid to drink it. I'm afraid to drink it. So, um, so uh, yeah, just, just, um, just, just realistically, um, I think it'd be, it'd be great for some of the people listening to podcast if you just tell us a little bit about what I tried it. Thought it was incredible. Um, and and yeah, we're that's, still that's, scared. We're still scared. Yeah, <laughs> I, I actually was the first one ever did a a uh, uh, review on Twitter. Yeah. And then my favourite, not too shabby line, which I quite yeah. like. But anyway, yeah, they're, they're the kind of questions that, that, that we have for you. Yeah, so the, the whole bottle to can thing, it was, I was always, I'm an old school drinker. You know, I was, um, you know, found craft in about 2011. You know, and, uh, you know, New England stuff wasn't really around. Cans weren't really a thing that, craft beer was in um you know i was very much on the west coasts and every time someone released a 660 bomber bottle of west coast tipper i was you know first in the queue at a bottle shop and be like i need that <laughs> especially if i had sriracha ace in it i'm a sriracha ace fan myself but the others are a bit yeah. more well, or whatever the West Coast tipper that I did was based on an old homeschool, uh, old homebrew mm-hmm. recipe, which used to use sriracha ace. I can't get a hold of sriracha ace, so it's Sabro instead now. Oh, uh, no. oh worse. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. But 
it's I mean to be fair, people absolutely absolutely love it. Um, but yeah, so I I I was old school and I always wanted to put things in bottle because I liked the I liked the, sort of the theatre of popping open a bottle with a bottle opener and all that kind of thing. Um, when we started progressing in cuckoo brewing and moving on to bigger and better kits, and the way the market was shifting, it became evident that there was place for bottle and but mostly people wanted can. So we had to adapt and move uh, over to can with a lot of our stuff. But yeah, there are, there are things we're still bottling. And uh, actually to come back to a thing about what interesting things we've got coming up, we did our first barrel age release recently. Um, I can say that that's not the last barrel age release that we'll be getting this year yeah. because our current... Uh, our current barrel total at the moment is 18. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, it has been growing fairly rapidly yeah. and um, it will be growing by another two more barrels. So we'll have 20 barrels soon, which is a combined total of just over 4,000 litres of beer. Wow. We can okay. throw it away in barrel. Right. That fits really well with your at least your original profile. Obviously, your profile's moving, but as it was, that would be perfect for you, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, we're we're doing some uh, barrel aged Belgian stuff, barrel aged Imperial Stouts, and we're going to be trying to barrel age some other things as well. Um, trying to keep, you know, with our core range, we're trying to push a little bit more towards the Belgian and German stuff. Try and keep a bit more of what we used to do as yeah. well. But uh, as for Abaddon's, well, the hazelnut Abaddon did get squirreled away in a barrel. <laughs> so, we did that <laughs> so that hopefully at some point will be coming out um, we'll keep taste, keep checking it but I think on a rule of thumb we'll be looking at about 9 months in barrel time minimum Okay. so probably won't be till the back end of the year if not maybe early next year for that mm -hmm. one we have some other ones that we've been scrilled away for a lot longer um, not a bad one but some other beers Okay. and yeah, so other flavors of Abaddon. I think the next one we're going to do is probably the original version again, because uh, we haven't we haven't done that in a while. Mm -hmm. So we're probably going to want to do that again. And I think going forward, it may change because things change rapidly in the industry. Um, we're probably looking at one original release, so the original version. And one flavored version every year. All right. Hmm. So we'll be looking for the original version to come out at some point this year. Not entirely sure when, but before August. Before. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, our, birth, our birthdays in uh, in is the August August bank holidays, so we'll need something for them. Mm -hmm. Something big and stupid like we normally do. Yeah, and then we'll be looking at again because Hazelnut Abaddon was December release last year. We'll probably have another flavored version out this year, but we haven't planned that far ahead. So we'll uh, that that's still up in the air. What we'll what we'll do with that, um, but hopefully, yeah, there'll be at least one flavored version, one original version. I'm going to throw you in for the flavor though, Jamie. You're not going to get to that. <laughs> I'm thinking tiramisu or something like that. Yeah. We'll just we'll just do a Sabro dry hop to ban. 
Yeah, <laughs> I'll be up. I mean, that. it might work actually. <laughs> coconut, I, I can imagine that would work in a dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, to be fair, we did do a coconut abaddon, so uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll find some other weird marmite hop that people either love or hate, and I'll try hopping with that instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, um, just mind you, the fun was just, yeah, just just about the rock because it was pretty, it's pretty special. The rock, yeah, yeah, so that was our. First year 22%. beer release. Yeah, 22%. Yeah, God, that was that was just us really just I don't know. We <laughs> probably probably like with most of our birthday beers. I mean we did the squid ink yuzu and seaweed one this year, which I think basically every year I just have to come up with a new beer recipe, something crazy. For our birthday so what i do is just put myself into a corner lose my mind <laughs> and uh, just just frantically jot down what comes out so the rock was yeah because we called it an imperial rye wine yeah rye wine yeah I mean, yeah what, what even is that so a rye wine is essentially a barley wine but uh, with a high portion of rye in it yeah. i think ours was 25 percent rye I can only imagine what the sparge was like for that. Because Ryan's well, we really mashed it. sparge, yeah. Well, we mashed it four times. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So we mashed it four times and we reiterated the mash. Yeah. So we drew off the thickest work we could, put it into the kettle, heated that up to strike temperature, put the work back in the mash tun and then mashed in again. Okay. And we did that four times. Um, so, yeah, it was by the end, it was a nightmare. <laughs> it was just, <laughs> yeah, I was mashing for... I think I was mashing for about six to eight hours because we were doing extended rests on the mash. Um, but yeah, we and then we just fed it with sugar, killed the yeast twice um, using super high gravity L yeast, which can take over, take up to 25%, supposedly. Well, we killed it twice. So, um, but yeah, we just absolutely threw everything at that beer. Um, and someone had because we did our birthday at a hoppy place in Windsor first year, and then second year we did it at uh, the Maidenhead site. Mm -hmm. Someone from the first year birthday party brought a bottle of rock to the second birthday party. Okay. Nice. So we had a one-year-aged bottle of rock. Yeah. So far as I can tell, it tasted exactly the same. Okay. <laughs> well, just... so I've, I've still got a bottle of rock. Yeah, You've think, got a bottle of rock. Yeah. We haven't. We haven't. It's about yeah. a year and a half. At so least, yeah, so. We, we're aging it. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, that bit will be good for years, I'm sure. Yeah. 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 Well, it, it had, amazing. Bit, so far as I can tell, it hadn't changed in one year. So uh, yeah. I think I've still got a bottle of it somewhere as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is still being this that, that got me. Like it really was like the way it poured. It just didn't. It almost didn't pour like a like a normal beer. In, in, yeah, it was, it was so rich, oily and thick. Yeah, it was. It was. It was so thick. It was just. It was just. It was. Yeah. It was. It was yeah. It's unlike many beers I've tried, I mean, it, was, it was delicious. It was complex. Loads of raisins. Loads of plums. That it just. It, I think there was like a, a medicinal. Maybe I think there was a spiciness of the rye that came through, and it was. It was fantastic. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Right. When you when you open yours, boys. I might so. actually have to drink it at some point. Then. Yeah, sounds pretty it, good. It is, <laughs> it is a ridiculous beer. Um, it, I mean, for for what it's worth, it finished at the gravity of uh, ten eighty. Hmm. Hmm. 
Pretty good. So yeah. high. I mean, yeah, I mean that's yeah. you know that's the kind of gravity that you can expect like dippers and stuff to start at, and that's yeah. where it finished. Yeah, <laughs> so, mad. All right, um, we've got a couple more questions before we go on to the quick fire round. I'm just conscious of time. We've got seven minutes left on this particular session. Paul? Well, I'm just going to, well, my question is like, what's your dream beer to brew? I mean, obviously, it sounds like once a year you're kind of doing that. <laughs> so I don't know. Is that a dream or a nightmare? Well, yeah, I mean, is there something that perhaps your kit can't handle that you'd love to do? I mean, we don't see that much fruit in your beers, for example. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm a, I don't mind fruited beers. Um, I'm not, froses and stuff, I think for me are a little bit too fruited and sweet for my taste. There's a beer that I really want to do that we might look at doing at some point, um, but it just takes a lot of time. I really, really want to do a Doppelbock. Okay. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. That, that for me is like, you know, if we can nail that, hmm. you know, that's a, a very tricky lager style to do, you know, at elevated ABV lager, that's, you know, for us, I think that's something I'd really like and to do. And it'll be using a tank for a long time, won't it? So I suppose if you've got the capacity to put it in, in tank, then. Well, yeah, that's something we've got to look at as well, getting that space to be able to do it. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good answer. Yeah, I mean. I could follow up with uh, just asking about cool ships because it seems to be that, you know, is that some, some style or, or brew kit that you're interested in or do you leave that to others? Um, I've toyed about the idea of if we manage to get to a point where we can, a wild beer facility would be quite cool. Yeah. And in that kind of instance, yeah, cool ship would be great. Mm. Um, but that is, that's if we make it you know, to a point where we can open up a second site because obviously wild yeah. beers yeah. and clean beers, you know, you don't want to get them mixed up. Yeah, otherwise gonna be, uh, yeah. Yeah. Everything's going to be wild. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Okay, so we've come to the part of our podcast where we've got a bunch of quickfire questions which we're going to throw at you. Uh, don't You don't have to overthink them, obviously. Um, first thing that comes into your head, hopefully there's a few mind-bending in there. So we'll warm you up slowly. Here we go. So what's the biggest influence on your brewery? Oh, Jesus. Um probably mostly belgian beers those kind of things i think if i had to go with anything uh destruce brewery from belgium right uh-huh. they do you know a lot of imperial stouts a lot of really cool crazy beers um i think yeah that's probably got to be one of the biggest influences on where we are and what we do as a brewery cool okay uh what's your favorite beer by your brewery so far Oh, <laughs> see now everyone's probably going to expect me to say a baden, but I'm a yeah I'm I'm torn between King Arthur and Cthulhu at the moment. Mm. Okay, we'll go with that. Uh, what's your favourite brewery? And you you may well have answered this already, but what is your favourite brewery? Yeah, yeah, Distrus. <laughs> <laughs> surprise, surprise. I've, yeah, I've got I've got a couple of their. Uh, 
their big heavy hitters squealed away in the cellar <laughs> for a, for a yeah. rainy day. Yeah, yeah. Okay, next one. Uh, thirds, halves, two-thirds or pints? Um, depends on the ABV, but generally halves. Okay, sensible. <laughs> okay, uh, next one. What is your favourite style of beer? Oh, I'm going to have to, yeah, Belgian quad. If yeah, I could have one, one beer for the rest of my life, Belgian quad. Excellent. Okay, last question. Where do you stand on the question of small cans? <laughs> this is a bit of an in-joke. <laughs> How small? <laughs> 250 or below? Uh, yeah, I mean... I've had a 250. <laughs> it felt weird. <laughs> you feel like a giant. You feel like a, a giant holding a big yeah. hand. Big like, hand. I, like, and the, and the thing was, the one I had was one of the little, like the really short, stubby ones. Oh, Not yeah. Really yeah. One. The, the ones that Wonder Beyond did for a while. Yeah. yeah. Where they were like really squat. Yeah, it was weird. Like, <laughs> I didn't mind it because it brought the price of the can down. And I well, felt that's, 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 the that's the reason for the question. Because what we say is like, when you put high, high ABV in large cans, you know, it prices some people out of the market. That's, yeah, that's, yeah. that's kind of the, that, uh, the thought. That's it. But then, and, yeah. and a couple of, like, one of them I had, and I was like, ah, oh, I want more of that. That's the problem. But then there's also the other side, isn't it? Sometimes you get you get a 440ml can and, 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 you have half of it, you really enjoy it, but you think, do you know what, that's... I'm done. I'm done. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that's it. Like, I mean, that's why things like a bad and stuff will always be 330s. Yeah. Um, mm. The only time it'll ever be in anything bigger is if we ever decide to put in a 750. And <laughs> that's yeah. specifically, specifically for sharing. I think legally, I have to say... That is a good question. I'm sorry to jump in this, but it's big, big bottle because we we love we love a big bottle share at the Belk Beer Club. I absolutely love it. So is that is that a big bottle something you'd be looking to do in the future? They are yeah. great out, particularly because there's, there's four of us. We want to drink the same beer. So actually, having a big bottle means that you know, particularly if it's high ABV, a, a big nice bottle share is, is great for four people. Um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, 750s is something we're definitely looking at. Uh, we might be doing um, some 375s, so like the slightly bigger than 330s. Mm -hmm. um, it just depends on kind of what price the beer will end up working out at. Mm. If if it ends up working out that the bottle shops are going to have to sell it for like, you know, 20 plus quid a big bottle, mm. then we might chop it down to a 375, right. where it's going to be, you know, 10, 12 quid for that. Yeah. Just yeah. it makes it, it makes it sort of look. I mean, I know it's size wise, it's the same price, but mm -hmm. it makes it look cheaper. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. But we did actually do seven fifties of Krampus this year. <clears throat> mm -hmm. We sold them on our online shop for a little mm -hmm. bit, and uh, two specific bottle shops that we work with very closely. Mm -hmm. um, I think we did about sixty of them, and we sold out very quickly. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. We. Yeah. we, we People really did take to them. So, yeah, sort of 375s and 750s is something we're definitely looking at potentially bringing in and doing. But I did, I did buy a 23 version, of a uh, 22 version. I had my 21 version of Krampus still that I drank this year, mm. um, a year on. It was very good. It tasted very good. 
Okay, well, thank you, Jack, once again for your time. Um, before we wrap up, is there anything further you'd like to mention uh, before we sign off? Um, just that uh, our tap rooms open uh, Fridays and Saturdays. <laughs> well, yeah. We've yeah. definitely got to make a trip up there, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it's still just me and Jordan. Every every now and then we do have to close the tap room on specific days just in case we've got events and stuff. But we generally try and announce that on our social media that we're closing. So that's that's the best way to find out if we're closed. But every Friday from five until ten and Saturdays from two till ten. Yeah, well, I mean, because we're such fans, we could just literally stay in your place all, all night. Because uh, <laughs> how many lines have you got? We have eleven beer lines and yeah. one dedicated that's, that's, water yeah. line. Okay, <laughs> that's enough for us. So yeah, we could just yeah. stay there. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, uh, and currently, our tap our tap line ranges from zero point five percent up to seventeen. So brilliant. All right, thank you for that, Jack. Well, you've been listening to episode four of our podcast. This time around, we featured Jack from Tartarus and Leeds. Gave us all sorts of interesting lowdown on how they got to where they are now and how they're clinging on and actually flourishing in this climate. Next time around, we have a feature of Other World Brewery from Scotland. So look out for that one. In the meantime, check out our new website, belperbeer.club and our Twitter feed at Club.